Welcome and happy Friday. It's March 18th, 2016, and this is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Catherine Legrave, who's one of our editors, Jaina Maleri, who's our style editor and a podcast producer. Yay, Jaina. Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor and becoming a podcast regular here. Laura Redmond, who's our deputy editor on the digital side. And my name is Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day, everybody. We're here celebrating with, uh, with a little bit of Jameson's because we like that. <laughs> and we got a little Boddington's here, too, for the beer drinkers. Um, well, the Boddington's is kind of, that's British. We shouldn't yeah. say that. Oh, really? Yes. yes. How dare you? I, that's all they had. How dare you? <laughs> Pretend we did it's have Guinness. Guinness. We, had, we did we're, have Guinness. Apologies for the Boddington's. We're not drinking it. It's just, it's sitting here in isolation in the middle of the table, and we're hating it. Oh. We're hating it right now. This already got controversial. No, yeah. this is good. This yeah. is a good segue. This yes. is bad no, we, etiquette. We, we, we're about to talk bad, about yes. bad etiquette. Indeed. <laughs> so the topic of the day is airplane etiquette which is something that come, has come up a bunch of times before. So we thought we would just go ahead and take it head on. I just wanted to contextualize this, if I can use fancy words, by noting that the air, air travel did, was not always the way that it is today. I came across some stats earlier today when I was doing a little research here. In 1965, no more than 20% of Americans had ever flown in an airplane. By 2000, which is a long time ago, and so I'm sure it's very different now, 50% of the country took at least one round-trip flight a year. So it's up from 20% to 50% by 2000. I'm sure it's way higher even today. The number of passengers in the air tripled between the 70s and 2011. In 1974, it was illegal. Check this out, you guys. It was illegal for an airline to charge less than $1,442 in inflation-adjusted dollars for a flight between New York City and Los Angeles. What? And like, but this was all to do. This was all to do with the deregulation yes. of the airlines in the mid seventies. Yes. The reason what people forget about the golden age of flying. The reason it was the golden age was that all the different airlines, Pan Am or Eastern, were not distinguishing themselves on price because their price was set by the government. There you go. They were distinguishing themselves on the onboard experience. So the reason things have changed is that now we're gauging, we're choosing the airline using different factors. It's exactly that. Yes. And as a consequence, airfares have fallen by 50% since the late 70s. You can get a flight, that same flight that used to cost you 14 $1,442. That's a fl inflation adjusted. That's not what the price would have read, but that's the equivalent of what you'd be paying today. And you can get it for $300 today. Sometimes, if you check out the deals of the day on Condé Nast on cntraveler.com, you can even get it lower than that. <laughs> but, the, but as a result, you know, I mean, and here we get into it, right? Like the whole world is always on planes, it's become like taking the bus. And as a result, things, you know, airlines have been incentivized to get more and more people on there. Seats have gotten smaller. There's more people. The flights are more packed. There's less room for luggage. And people seem to be more adamant than ever about their luggage. And so it's created this space of conflict. It's created a space where there's a lot of tension. So this week, we've published a couple of stories about this recently. But this week, we have two or three of them that have gone up that have just taken on pieces of this of this controversy. One of them, Laura, was the one that you co-wrote, which was about the middle seat, mm -hmm. which is the like like the ground un seat. Unloved seat. Yeah, the unloved middle seat. What was your position on the middle seat? So I have a fairly unconventional love affair with the middle seat. And it started 
kind of recently, um, I flew Southwest for the first time. And if you haven't flown Southwest, it is, I think I called it in the story, story a barbaric process. Sorry, Southwest, but I, I just didn't play by the rules properly. And the idea is that you don't have a seat assignment. You have to check in at the appropriate time, and the appropriate time has to be exactly 24 hours before you fly. Have if all of you guys flown Southwest? You I've never flown mm-hmm. Southwest. I, I, won't, never I wouldn't fly Southwest for exactly this reason. It, I mean, for Type A people, it takes this. all the control out of your hands, and it drove me nuts. But yeah. I get why some people like it. But I, um, I was in boarding group B for one flight, and C, which is basically like, will they leave me on the ground? I don't know. Um, for the second flight, and I had a big, big carry on as big as my carry on can get bag to go on multiple connections down to Austin and you know I'm stressing out and at the end of the day I didn't pay the extra $40 it wasn't that much mind you but I was kind of already offended that I had to do it so I didn't pay it I could have paid 40 bucks and gotten into boarding group a at the very front and could have had my choice of seat when I get on the plane because that's how it works you have Group, I didn't even know that. A group I, didn't know assi- you could do I know. That. I didn't know it either. I feel like they don't communicate it very no, well. No, this is a because clo- I, I had the same experience and I'd never flown on Southwest before. And like a couple of days before you went, I went and I, I I got to the airport and all of a sudden people started doing this thing and I had no idea what they were doing. The, the European budget airlines do that all the time. I mean, that's the that's the the mo of most of the more basic carriers in Europe is your boarding priority is correlated to both the time you check in and how much you're willing to pay to guarantee you put your bag in the overhead lockers. Right. Basically. And that you get the aisle seat in row two or wherever you think is the ideal seat. And for me, the point about the middle seat is for me, I'd rather have a middle seat in row three than an aisle seat in row 33. Like that to me is gold because I am small. You can't see it here on radio, but um, I am I, I'm basically the size of like a grammar school point guard and I don't need that much space. So I would much rather have the opportunity to get off the plane and on the plane quicker, kind of curl up in my little middle seat. I'm also claustrophobic, so I don't want the window seat. I don't want to be anywhere near that because then I am two whole humans away from freedom. And I I want to at least have more headroom and airspace. And if I had the aisle, wonderful. I am so happy if I have the aisle. But I don't because I'm in boarding group C and I hate it. So I, I take a middle seat and I am very content. And I know this is a contrarian opinion, but... I would much rather have the middle over a window any day. But I, I, I mean, I can argue both sides of this because the aisle has has disadvantages as well in that, like, they're constantly moving the cart up and down and people are moving up and down. Mm-hmm. And so I frequently get an aisle seat because I travel with other people and so, like, they're taking the inner seats. And, man, I've been hit on the elbow. I've been hit on the knee. I've been hit on the leg. I've had people go by and knock me in the head while they're walking by. So I feel like there is an argument that the middle seat is this like safe place where you're not too far away from freedom. It's the Goldilocks seat. It's the yeah, just exactly. right. It absolutely is. That's just exactly right. right. And you know, it was every middle seat was available when I got on, even though I was at the back of the line boarding But doesn't on that Southwest. make you think, I always think that that, that feel, to me says, I didn't know the secret that every, what, if everyone else is avoiding the middle seat, what do I not know about the middle <laughs> seats? Do they come off in the middle of the flight? <laughs> Do we uh, do we not get food? It just would feel like why are they all empty? Well, there you there is this potential if you're in that middle seat that that if you get disrupt you you have double the chances I guess of getting somebody who is rude on either side. And every time I'm there, I feel like I don't know how to negotiate the the armrest situation. 
Like, I guess that's another plane no, that's thing. Oh, that's, yeah. fine. that's a border that you avoid fight. altogether. I don't yeah. know. That's the thing. I just stay in my boundaries and I kind of curl up and put on my headphones and try to. But don't you think you've just, ignore. to me, you've just identified that what we're talking about in terms of airplane etiquette. It's all about where does your territory end mm-hmm. and where do your fellow passengers' territory begin? Yes. That, do you have half the armrest? Do you have the right hand armrest? Do you get it for two hours? Do, do you, you, do you know, get but, it on but one what, flight? What we're, what we're talking about is the unarticulated rules of what is your space. Ooh. You called it the Hunger Games at one point. Do we, do we go so far yeah. as to... No, it is the Hunger That was in, your, in the piece that you wrote last year, right? Like mm-hmm. you, Before Christmas. What I found myself, because we're in this pressurized environment, both you know, literally cabin pressure and a very pressurized environment. As someone who's not backward and coming forward, find myself sort of hyper, sort of aggressive and hyper aware. And I I catch myself overreacting to things like I'm not going to move my elbow so you can't have the part of the armrest. And it's incredibly juvenile. Yeah. I feel like people either go one of two ways on this. They either are hyper aggressive and they claim their territory and they stick to it. Or they do what Laura just said, and they just like retreat and say like, "I'm not dealing with this. I'm just going to wait till the plane lands, and <laughs> I then think, I will be a human again." I think we essentially have Laura and I are yins and yangs. Yes. Where I am the most aggressive person, and I should sit next to her. That would be perfect. We would be lovely yeah. plane mates. <laughs> great, great partners. Gina, where are you on that? Well, I'm the be nice. You're the be nice. So you do you retreat or do you do you claim and then like retreat when you get Do you challenged? ask nicely yeah. for your territory? You? If you if you feel like you need it, you ask ni- my whole, you know, that's everything that I do on a plane is I try I am never ever as nice as I am on a plane. So but if I felt like I needed more space, I would just ask for it very politely, but I would probably be inclined to not say anything. Don't get me wrong. I always think that, you know, I work a lot on planes with my laptop. And if if I'm reading a book and someone has a laptop, I wouldn't fight for the space because they're working and I'm not. It's not a, a case of fighting about everything. Right. But it is, I do f- catch myself being very aggressive. Right. I think a lot of people react that way on planes. And I think that it's, it's because it's, it's what you said. It's such a sort of pressurized environment in more ways than one. And for some reason, I think I have come to the conclusion that for me, because I feel really out of control when I'm on a plane, because I am out of control, because it's like there's somebody who I'm not even going to see who is going to be like... Ferry you from yes, point A to B. Yes, yeah. your the, life is in the hands. Right, absolutely. So that feels terrifying and anxiety-provoking. And so I think I've sort of realized for a few different reasons that for me being really, really nice gives me the illusion of control. Because if I'm angry and I'm worked up and I'm fighting somebody for their armrest, then I'm like maybe going to get them worked up and then that means that... Do you think it's gendered though? I think it's interesting that I'm a man and... No, because I was going to say, you you say I'm the yin to your yang, but like I also, I get really aggressive over the overhead bin and I know we talked about it with your piece at one point, Catherine, but that is my space. If I don't have a space over my seat, I'm going to take out what was there if it's soft and small. You can't reach. I asked someone taller to take out the soft bag above my seat. No, but I I pick and choose battles, I feel like. The ones that you think you can win and the ones that you can't. And That was interesting, too, on this past weekend. So I was flying back on United, which weirdly had adopted some version of, at least in the Austin airport, had adopted a version of the Southwest boarding thing, but using numbers instead of letters, which I think they thought was going to cleverly fool everybody. But it was the same thing. 
And they told everybody, they told us up front, I got there like ridiculously early, and they told us up front that if you're in number three or number four, which would be number C or D or whatever on Southwest, you, we're not going to have enough room in the overhead bins. And please come up to the counter and we will check your bags and it will be totally free and everything will be fine. I got up and like walked over there. Now, granted, I was really, really tired and kind of out of my head, but I walked up there and I said, okay, like I'm in number three, here's my bag. And they sort of looked at my poor little bag and said like, you'll be fine, don't worry about it, guy. No other human went up there, despite the fact that four more times they said, hello, if you're in three or four, we will not have room for your shit. Like, come up now, check your bag, we'll take care of you, all of that. It shocked me that literally nobody at any point went to any of them and said, yeah, here's my – and there were people with two backpacks. There were people with giant, like, hockey bags of stuff. And I just couldn't but what, happened, what is it with once people? Once you got like, on board, what happened? Was there chaos of people or did it all – Totally. Yeah. There was total chaos of people running back and forth, front to back. And this is, and that's to be candid. Like I'm not some nice guy. I went, <laughs> I I went up there because I can't deal with the chaos. Like the thing I hate most of all, in in the entire sort of journey of of flying, is the chaos and anxiety. And I just figure like if I check it, I know where it is. It's done. I walk on the plane. It's very clean and easy. And gate right. check bags. We'll come back at a different yeah, time. Yeah, they come back on your well, way out. Well, let's dissect why people deal. don't do that. And I think that came up a little bit. Yeah. It was basically like, if they're going to take it, they're going to take it anyway. So I might as well hold on to it and see if they're going to take it. I mean, that's, it's terrible to admit, but that's my philosophy. It's the prisoner's like if dilemma. I, yeah. If I need yes. it, I feel like I need it sooner rather than later. I don't want to wait for it. And they say, we're going to take your bag. I'll say, hmm, okay, well, we'll see. Right. You know, I, I might be able to sneak it on. But I think the problem is that other people think like that and then they don't volunteer. Well, it sounds it's, like everybody except for Brad <laughs> thinks like it's that. It's the tragedy of the commons, right? Like, if, if I can get away with it, and if, but if everybody does that, then then you end up with this, You and somehow they must plan for it because, you know, the plane did eventually take off, but there was a lot of running around back yeah. and forth. But it's the flight, flight attendants. It's become, that must be the most onerous part of the contemporary Absolutely. flight. And I'd be curious to hear if there are flight attendants listening, talking to us about this. We're trying to get a flight attendant to come talk to us. To, to talk to us about, that must be Obviously, being a flight attendant is a very different job now than from the 60s. But one of the most frustrating, least enjoyable parts must be that boarding process where they're dealing with people who are like, where is my bag going? And they're like, it's not going anywhere. Like, this, yeah. it's not going but that, anywhere. But that, too, was like they also seem depressingly resigned to this process because as people were walking by with these giant bags of stuff in, in, in you know, um, lines three and four – they weren't saying like, "Yo, like that's not going to go. You're going to be you're going to be screwed in about thirty seconds. So can we please check that for you?" So I, they they sort of let the process just kind of happen and, and left it up to people. And then the whole thing gets sorted out when everybody is when it's proven by the plane that there's no room for all this stuff. Well, but I think that they were. I think the flight attendants, if you do the right thing, and it is the right thing to listen to the rules and do what they <laughs> ask you to do. And I think that if you do that, they remember you and then they're nicer to you on the flight. And if you do that and you give them candy. You give them chocolates, yeah. You're in. Pro etiquette tip number one. 
Bring candy. Bring candy. Bring candy. Absolutely. Especially if you're flying a, on a but holiday. But where do you sit, Janet? This is, I, I struggle with this because I've been on a flight and had one of those apology bags given to me where it was, I'm sorry, you know, hello, my name's James, I'm six months old, right. yeah. you know, here's uh, some airplanes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, half uh, of me was charmed and half of me felt sorry for the parents that that is now no longer something you do to get social media traction. It's something you almost feel like you have to you do. You feel obligated. I, I know many young moms who feel that way, that, that that is a guarantee that you have to do to apologize to be flying with your and, children. And don't, I mean, no, but don't get me wrong, if, if someone has a six-month-old baby and they don't pay any attention to the child, I do judge them because I think, unfortunately, you don't get to sit and read a book. You've got a, a full-time person Nannying. to take care right. of. Mm -hmm. But if you're taking care of your child and your child isn't, is, is having a tough time, that's just a kid. We were all babies. You don't have to give out earplugs and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm only six, year, six months old. But do you think that's a, that's an, this is, I guess, off topic, sort of, but do you think that's a European versus American thing? Because I think... I think that Europeans are much more about this sort of thing like, you know what? It's a kid. Deal with it. You know, that's how it happens. You get on the plane. I've got a kid. I haven't, heard, I haven't seen it happen in Europe. I mean, you know, I, I live here and I travel, I travel from the States with a lot of Americans. But, you know, I feel a bit sorry for parents who almost now that's not a fun gesture. It's, a, it's yet another thing they have to remember to do yeah. to pack in their carry-on bag is goodie bags as if they're throwing a party on board. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I say that because that, that never crossed my wife's mind. She's there's no way. I deal with it. Like, it's my kid. Like, sorry. But I deal I'm with it. I mean, but, I'm but, take but, care but of them. To your point, yeah, exactly. Like, to, to your point, like, it's not like, like, yes, we're engaged. We're trying to keep him whatever he's going to do. Yeah. But, but, but there's no, she's not making any little goodie bags for anybody. There's around. no etiquette. That's mis way there's too no Brooklyn. etiquette mistake to be to, to, to take your child on a plane. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like when I yeah. think about the candy, because I always think about that and I think yours is this lovely gesture to give candy to the staff, but having to sort of give candy to your fellow flyers. No, you're right. And I think it's really interesting that you're saying it because you're absolutely right that it did, I think, start as something that, you know, the first half a dozen people who did it, it totally went viral and now it's become this like well now you gotta do it just because if you don't we're gonna look at you and think you're being a jerk which is kind of <laughs> horrible because all you're doing is having a kid with you on a plane and everyone should I think be we were all children right <laughs> yeah. I, I think there can be something kind of like charming about it and I think if it makes the parent in some way feel better than like that's actually Look, I, if someone wants good. to do it that's fine i just I, i'm not criticizing like someone for do doing it. it i just there's something that sort of expectation that somehow traveling with a child is an etiquette faux pas right right is really unreasonable like it's the equivalent of eating a niçoise salad <laughs> Which, what is wrong with eating a niçoise salad on a plate? Do you know what's in nice. a niçoise salad? <laughs> Have you had one recently in an enclosed space? Tuna and, and lettuce. Tuna, and egg. anchovies, yeah. eggs, vinaigrette. It's like every stinky thing that could be in a salad all wrapped up in one, a little bit of leafy green. It is the worst thing I think you can bring and eat on a plane. I'm putting I'm putting that out there right now. Do what, you, are, what, are, what are, we put this piece up today, right? Like what yeah. are the other terrible things that what did we single out as the worst things so cheetos is another thing in part now why why is that I don't okay think about it say someone comes on with a giant bag like super bowl size bag of cheetos and they're just start crunching and crunching and it's like being at the opera and everyone has their you know they're trying to listen to their little private symphony at their seat and someone's like and then they're covered in the orange yeah, yeah. 
like residue residue yeah. thank the you powder the awful everywhere. awful powder and either they like lick their fingers to get rid of it or it goes everywhere i mean there's just so you know, many like externalities might with cheetos might be the worst cuz they're sort of an assault on all five senses yeah. <laughs> <laughs> agreed <laughs> whereas niswa's salad just reeks Cheetos can get all of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it looks gross. It sounds gross. It could smell gross. It feels gross. Like everything about Cheetos. But I still think everyone should be able to eat what they want on a plane. Yes. Jaina was the. Kanye West Travel Log brought to you by Cheetos. Cheetos. <laughs> but, do you think, but do you think that therefore they should police what retail outlets sell in the, in the concourse before you board? No. no. no I don't. No, I don't think Should they only far. sell things that are polite to eat well, on board? Well, then you have to police what people buy outside the yeah, airport right. as well. There's no way but to stop that. Do you think anyone brings a, a, a Niswa salad through the x-ray? They must have bought it Laura in the terminal. Laura has a story, don't you? Well, I don't know where she got it, but yes, I was at LaGuardia. And if you've flown through LaGuardia recently, you know there's basically just Auntie Anne's pretzels <laughs> and an obon pan. And that, like, the, I don't know, shrink wrap turkey sandwich. Where did she get this salad? I don't know, but she was sitting right in the window and she was going at it before takeoff. And I already felt kind of queasy, and that did not help. And she did not acknowledge that this might have been a bad thing. That's the thing. It's the self-awareness, right? Like you get on the plane this with a really giant bag. With you, didn't it? This oh, very <laughs> literally, yes. I felt like I smelled like it afterwards. But like a bag of McDonald's too is also salad. kind of trauma. Yeah, <laughs> PTSD. <laughs> have, like grease or I don't know. An, a bag of McDonald's with the fries. Someone else had that. That I think experience. is horrifying, though. I have that. I've had the. That seems worse than the Niswa salad. Because it me. lingers forever. Yeah, like it never goes away. No, and you know, it could literally just be a tiny little bag of French fries. It could be a whole like Happy Meal. I don't know, but that. Did you that's get barbecue a- coming back from Austin? No, there was a woman next to me with barbecue. Was that bad? Yes, it was. It was nauseating. Did, did it make you like, jealous? I think it's a a the barbecue that's at the airport is not. It's not like Franklin has a spot at the at the airport, you know, and b like in an enclosed space when you are not the one eating the barbecue, it's <laughs> yeah. just not a good thing, you know. And not and 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 again, it was this thing where, like, yes, you get olfactory fatigue, but she kind of put it away and then brought it back out and put it it's away like and, bo- and brought it back bog. out. Yeah. <laughs> By yeah. the time she was pulling it out, and it looks in a just... spiritual crisis. <laughs> yeah, but do you think that when the when the flight attendants give their sort of like in-flight demonstration, should they talk about food? You know, should it be part of like just remember if you have barbecue, eat it in the bathroom? That's a, <laughs> that's an excellent question. Oh. I really like that question. Like in the in, and this 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 is not an etiquette question exactly, but eating it in the bathroom is actually more hygienic than eating it off of the tray that comes down. Oh, that's a fact. We wrote about we, that too. We yes, yeah, we we, we did place. a heat map of of back of, of of dirty places on the plane, and the worst is the tray that comes down. So I at least have the consolation, and you have the consolation, Laura, with your miso salad lady, <laughs> that she's probably sick right now. <laughs> A week later. <laughs> but Jane, Jaina makes the fair argument, you know, that you should be able to eat whatever you want, right? I think so. And because, you know, it's a tough go anyway, and you need every little comfort you can get. That's what I think. I mean, I think a lot of people are comfort eaters. I 
have my specific plain snack that I bring with me, and I don't think that it's super offensive. Cheetos. Not Cheetos. <laughs> it rhymes. It's Fritos. Fritos. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's like without the orange. But it's not, I mean, yeah. I'm never going to not bring <laughs> Fritos on a plane because I hate flying, and I get really freaked out, and now it's become part of my routine. So it's I do all of these different things, and it's all superstitious, and it's very foolish, and I get it. But it's all these things that I do that I have to check off as I go down the list to make sure that the plane doesn't crash. Frito scoops on the list. I'm never not bringing them on because the one time I don't, what if then the plane crashes? And what if as we're going down, like I don't get to we have need scoops. some Fritos? <laughs> now I feel like I have to eat Frito you do. scoops. We when should I fly. all be eating scoops. <laughs> like they are the guys. magic elixir to keep me alive. Yeah, they in may the have. Air. Kept, yeah, they may have been your secret so far. That's what I think. So but I'm not willing to risk it. But I think that for you know, it's so whatever. Whatever your food is, I think. But wait, let's okay. Let's look at this from a different perspective, though, right? Because we're talking about noxious odors that could make somebody you know ill, not necessarily you know life-threateningly ill, but let's say they make you throw up or whatever. What about the peanut question? That's a totally different question, and I definitely think... Like, if, what if peanuts were your comfort food, but but somebody else on the plane were allergic? Right, to that's them. much but, trickier. But am I the am I the only person? I do not have allergies to anything, so I'm obviously talking about this from the golden outside, child. Obviously, no. I mean, you know, but I do. I find it somewhat implausible. It's probably the kindest way of putting it. That someone and someone can walk down the street in a in a world where peanuts are consumed yet not be on board a plane where peanuts are consumed. I know the air is recycled. I know all of these things. But it does always feel to me like over overactive parenting. Now, am I the only, am I the only one who sort of rolls his eyes? I mean, well, I don't know. I had a coworker who was like, if it was in the air, he would get ill. I mean, and that's extremely rare. I have a, I've, I've had I've friends. seen it on so many planes. I guess I've, I've come across it on a dozen plane I mean, rides. But they're also banning them from schools. I mean, yeah. peanut allergies are legit right now. Well, I know? mean, but this is like I've known people with peanut allergies and like you, I've gone out to dinner with them and they won't order food with peanuts in it. But I can, yeah. you know, like and we're sitting in the restaurant and it's that restaurant. But I mean, I guess there are. Like, I always feel like this is probably a legal thing on the part of the airlines, right? Which is, if it's, you, there are degrees of allergies, I suppose, and, you know, the airlines are exercising sort of legal caution where they don't want to, what, you found something on the internet? That the, it, the internet does have an the explanation. Internet, give, let's um, hear the internet explanation. It says that they're overarching, the FAA has overarching federal guidelines to deal with, but that every airline can develop their own protocol, but basically better be safe than sorry. Right, because somebody could. Yeah. Also, because once you're in the air, I mean, how terrifying. It's one thing, like, you know, if you're in a school, you have access to help. But if you start to have some sort of allergic reaction. I recognize that. But if I, and I guess I just I don't. So I'm talking about this as someone who doesn't have allergies. So I'm not I'm not I don't have to worry about anything. I recognize that. But I just don't see it just feels so implausible that you can interact with the terminal where there are plenty of peanuts. And but you lots can, of people. Like, but you know, I do. 
I'm allergic to dogs, for example, and like you can bring dogs onto a plane. Yeah, you, you know, that, like, so and I you, can when when what do you do if there is a dog on? Well, a plane? I mean, uh, the same thing you do if you have a peanut. Well, I, I don't have peanut allergies, so I don't really know. But like an EpiPen is the, you know, the people I know who've had peanut yeah. allergies is an EpiPen is where you go. If you have allergies to dogs, it's either like an inhaler or an EpiPen or one of those things. Like that's what you do because the thing that you go into is anaphylactic shock and you can't breathe. And I mean, if it's bad. And so I've been through that before, you know, I like, but nobody's ever asked me if I have an allergy to dogs and there might be a, you know, the therapy we've, we've reported on this recently to the, the, what is the word? The therapy animals, therapy animals. Is that what they're called? And support, animals. support, support animals. Animals. emotional support yeah. animals. Right. Yeah. For, which is like a fairly wide open territory. Right. Uh -huh. Like oh, are, you are can get guidelines? any dog. I have a friend who wanted to take his dog on the Am on Amtrak because his country house is only reachable by Amtrak, and he had he doesn't have anything medically wrong with him, but you can pay a vet to do, for two hundred bucks. They'll declare that dog an emotional support dog, or and then they're allowed. <laughs> or a pot-bellied pig. Yeah, or not even dogs. You can ferret. have anything. You could have like a your peacock that you have <laughs> to have because of your anxiety. <laughs> like, you can. You have your Fritos. I have my peacock. exactly. <laughs> Everyone wins. Okay. So are there takeaways? Like what, I don't know, are there rules we can actually play by? Should we create rules you can actually play by? Well, but but I I mean, I want to go back to like the, the existential question of like, why, is it the Hunger Games? Are people like survival of the, I, I would argue yes. Like mm -hmm. I would argue yeah. that it's if you're inclined farming. in that direction, like yes, I'm one of these people who withdraws most of the time because like it's just easier. I don't want to deal with the conflict. I'm a conflict averse person. But most of the people around me, I feel like, are looking for a fight. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Put your arm on the armrest. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Um, and then we have things like what we also – didn't we write about it this week about this brawl? The that brawl. Yes. 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 What was the brawl? It was over – there were – someone was playing music, right? Yes. But, but this is – so I haven't – I have this is what I think is interesting. I was on a, a Lufthansa flight to, to Germany. Uh, from New York uh, about five years ago, and I sat in a row watching two men argue cumulatively about a reclined seat, and they were they were one uh -oh, of them was Catherine's reclining his got seat, an opinion on this. and one of the one behind it was punching the seat forward, and the one was reclining the seat punching wow, the seat really? forward. Wow, really? Now it got very fractious, but then they called the cabin crew over. And the woman, and she was a very authoritarian, sort of Brunhilde, central casting, older Lufthansa flight attendant. And she said, you are not children. I am not here to sort this out. Sort it out yourself. I am not here. I'm here for your safety. Brilliant. And I, while in that scenario, I think she was right. I think things like the brawl on the, on the, the plane. Where were the staff? Because in that, if you're seeing it, she, she shut them down in a brilliant way when yeah. I was on Lufthansa. But how does it get to the stage of the staff having to deal with a brawl rather than dealing with the people? Or no? Well, what was the spirit story? For those, who, so, for those who are not familiar. Basically what happened, it was a flight from Baltimore to L.A. And a couple women had been drinking a few too many Bloody Marys and had been playing music on a portable speaker. And someone asked them to turn the music down. They refused. And then things got real, apparently. And uh, there was, according to the story, a gratuitous amount of hair pulling. All right. And wow. at least one punch. Okay. That's not a joke. So when they got off, FBI agents and local police escorted them off and put them in a timeout. And then they were free to go. What, what is a timeout? What is that <laughs> One of those like? quiet little rooms. <laughs> As the flight attendant said. Sober up room. They're, they're not children. And that is, there is a point at which there's a difference between onboard etiquette and just acting like children. 
Right. And you, you don't get to behave like you're five years old with the ability to drink and it'd be okay. But I got to say, like, I do, I do think it's a legitimate question to ask how much the pre-flight drinking contributes to the aggressive Hunger Games behavior on the planes because this is another thing. I had a layover in Chicago and, you know, I went to have a beer and my God, that place was mobbed with people just like kind of binge drinking before whatever the next. Cope. They call it coping in my world. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's I mean that right. happens all the time. I'm sure that that contributes a significant amount. But it it it's just I don't know. Everybody gets nuts when they fly because we feel like our space is being encroached upon. Right. The, we talked about right. this. Like the part of your brain is triggered where you feel but like territorial. Would you not recline your seat? Oh yeah. no, I recline. Catherine, oh, I recline and we recline. Give us your recline policy. Oh, can we all go around and give a recline sure. policy? It's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I recline. I understand if everybody on the plane said, "Okay, I'm not not going to recline," I wouldn't do it. But odds are that the person in front of me is reclining, and I'm nearly six feet tall. I need every inch of space, so I'll recline. But again, as I said in my piece, if someone says, hey, can you move your seat up? I'll be reasonable. If you're eating, I'm not going to jack my seat back. What if they're just being passive-aggressive and punching the back of your seat? <laughs> well, I did have a, well, yeah, I don't know about that. I would ask them to stop. Passive-aggressive on a plane is like a whole yeah. codicil podcast for this. And probably the more common thing, right? Like, isn't that what we Again, do? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, would be, I would admit to being completely aggressive, aggressive on a plane. Yes, so that's, you know, but I almost but. prefer that. At least then we're either going to punch well, or I'm going to Because there in. aren't clear boundaries, right? Because it's, it's every man for himself, and you're trying to maintain the little space you have. So if your little space, space reclines, yeah, yeah, I have that feature. I paid to recline. I'm yeah. going to do but it. it also, you know? I mean, I, you know, in all seriousness, the, the debate about reclining, while I think is, you know, there are people who have policies one way or the other. If the seat is allowed to recline, then the airline is saying that's okay and the airline is in charge of that space. So right. if you recline your seat, the airline has allowed you to do that. Now, don't get me wrong, I often pick the the exit row when there are two exit row seats, two two seats, two rows of exit seats. I would often choose the row that doesn't recline, the, the row in front, because no one ever picks that row, but you get lots of leg room. No, I, I mean, I agree with that, but I'll also take the Paul Brady, the, the position that Paul took in the article with Catherine, which is if the flight's under four hours or six hours or something like that, he just won't recline during the whole thing. And I thought that made a lot of sense, and I've tried to, I've tried to adopt that policy only because it just feels like it feels like an aggressive act no matter what. Like, you are really, really confining, especially the way coaches these days. Like, there's just uh, perhaps once upon a time reclining was, you know, there was enough space to do it. And, yes, you were kind of encroaching, but not really. Nowadays, you really get up in somebody's face when you yeah, do that. Yeah, I you never recline. It's like you slam. I mean, people do it to me. It just slams back. You, so the should person they take can't the function work. away? They should take the function away. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah. In coach. I mean. You know, but what if you're on a 12-hour flight? What do you do? I mean, yes, be we're no talking coach on a 12-hour flight. <laughs> or like you can well, get up, you can walk around a little bit. I but think. some airlines well, have they they've this, removed but, it. Like but European how much does airlines, it help? some they don't. But have this, it. how much does it help, Catherine? If you have a bad I mean, back, it helps. I don't know. It helps me. It really, it helps Absolutely. me. Really. And also, I remember when Cafe redid its economy cabins a while ago. It had a new kind of economy seat where the recline it was a fixed shell seat. So in other words, yes, the I've back of the yes. seat 
did not move. When you reclined, you essentially slid further right. under right. the seat. Yeah, yes. that's or changed the lumbar smart. support. That's, that's, that's more what common it in be. business class or or like uh, what what do you Absolutely. call it? The in, premium economy. Pre- the premium car. But but Cathay put it into its economy cabins, and that to me was the perfect compromise yes. because the front your front was not going to encroach upon you, but you had an ability to give your back a bit of a change because you were sliding further yes. down. Yes, I agree. So if they could do that, then I think we sort of solve... But these Southwest and like you, these little United flights, like they, A, they would have to completely replace all of the seats, and that is a much more complex arrangement. So economically, that's yeah. a big ask. And second, like the space doesn't seem... You know, I, I get why it works in premium economy. You have a little bit more space, but in economy these days, I just feel like you're already right up against the seat in front of you. I mean, you can barely fit a laptop. Like I was... I was traveling with one of these cute little, you know, Windows laptop uh, surface things. And it it's a tiny little thing. Like, it's barely 11 inches or whatever. And it, it doesn't even fit on the tray <laughs> but I, if the person but, needs But it. I had a similar – I had a similar problem with my laptop about – I had an empty seat next to me. And I had someone moved because they'd been so difficult to the flight centers. They'd been a pain in the neck. And they wanted to be moved. And this lady wanted to be moved out of the seat because she was next to the toilet. She didn't want to sit there. And she was moved into this middle seat, empty next to me. And she was not someone who could fit into a single seat. So she, if she'd been on the aisle as she had been before, it would have been fine. She moved into the seat. I could not open my laptop and work because she was encroaching on either seat, either side of her. What do I? What was I right to go to the cabin crew and say, guys, I, I can't, I can't sit here? Yeah. Was, I, I, was that no? Fair? I think this is an interesting question. Like, what is the obligation of, like, where does the airline enter into this equation, and what is their obligation to each individual passenger? You know, as 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 presumably people who have paid somewhat equal amounts. Yeah. I mean, this is a market economy, and not every plane seat costs the same amount. But theoretically, you guys have both paid the same amount of money. What is their obligation to you versus their obligation to her? And I, I'm wondering, what, what do you guys think about that? Where where well, does the airline, where does like big I, government come into? I think this? that's what the problem is, right? Because we have so decentralized that it's very much like every airline sets its own standard, and there are no gold standards anymore. The golden age of flying doesn't exist. It is very different from airline to airline, domestic to international. And you don't know what rules to play by. I think that's what I've heard in this entire hour, right? So it is on the airline to say what is acceptable and then what's not, because everyone else has their own opinion. You recline, you don't. You like, I don't know, an aisle seat, you don't. You know, everyone has their preferences you and everyone Cheetos. has their... Yeah, exactly. Jane I eat Fritos. <laughs> but it's, it's implementing the rule and then enforcing it. it. It even applies to the bags. Like, it wouldn't be such an issue if they enforce the carry-on thing. Like, if I'm trying to fly a budget airline in Europe and I try and go on with a huge bag, they're going to say, no, try and fit it in there. Sorry. But they don't do that in the States. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the thing is that if you try and board a plane in Europe they will force you to put your bag into a bag testing container and if it doesn't fit it will be requisitioned from you it yeah. won't be requested and you, this is and i think but i think that's why no one listens because it feels like you're the mug playing along yeah with these unwritten rules that someone else is going to break and end up you feel like the sucker if you actually do what jana says and do the right thing <laughs> And that's but that but but that's a big thing in the American psyche, right? right? Like again, like I don't know, 
I don't want to speak too much to Europe, but but in the American psyche, like being the sucker is a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're like five beers in. Yeah, totally. No one wants to be a drunk sucker. Yeah. No <laughs> but I think the world. <laughs> but I think. But I think you're making a really. I think what we haven't factored into is the way that you know I I do drink on planes. Some people may be very virtuous, but I think there is an alcohol component. What we forget is the way we're behaving. The alcohol's impact is exacerbated because of the altitude. And we probably are not thinking as straight as we would on the ground because of the thinner air and those those double vodka tonics. Yeah. So it's a it's it's a physiological. There's a physiological context to all of this. Yeah. And I, I guess uh, the last thing I was going to ask is, um, do we do to recline or not to recline to go around? Yeah. 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 Lightning round. Recline yes, or recline. not recline. I would not recline on four to six hours or under. I forget to recline, and then if I remember, of course I would. Why would there's a button that does it? If you're not supposed to do it, there wouldn't I be know, a but button. Just because there's, but I mean, like your car goes what a hundred miles an hour. And it doesn't it, mean if, you should speed. Yes, the, it if, does. If the law said I could <laughs> go at 150 miles an hour, I would. <laughs> no, don't recline. Don't recline and bring candy for your flight attendants. Recline, recline, recline. <laughs> Are we all being a bunch of whiners? Like the price has come down 50 percent. Like is this? just what it is to to be able to fly as much as we do it's a very expensive proposition the capital investment on the part of the airlines is enormous i mean that's that's very interesting the idea that planes are now the greyhound bus of the sky but and i that, mean we have to set our expectations for, maybe yeah, i don't it, know but i do have that glorious image of a pan am flight that i never got to take where you have a bar and i can sit at the bar and not be it was fourteen dollars you could have that right it's called business class but even if you can't have <laughs> that i think there are things like what you were saying about like thinking about seats in a different way like i don't think that what's happening in terms like i think that there is a different way to have seats configured on a plane that could make people happier and yes maybe it costs the airline more money but you know i think that we as passengers should be nice i think the airline should be nice too and i think that there is a solution that is not just oh we have to sit in smaller seats so now we're all going to like you know debate whether but are you willing to pay more a little bit more, yeah. Look at IKEA. Like, I think there is a way to come mm-hmm. up with a solution that actually is not prohibitively expensive. And I also think when airlines are doing things, I think it was United that recently announced that it was going to reconfigure its domestic planes from being nine seats abreast to ten, which is Air France's standard. And I'm not a big guy, but on Air France, I'm crammed. Yeah. When airlines start really... Are you not distracted by the hilarious seatbelts buckling video? <laughs> and is, does that not compensate for it? For about us? 30 seconds. Yeah. And then I'm just like, this seat is so tiny. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what I think the problem is, I think that the adversarial relationship that there does seem to be between airlines and their customers is at the root of all of this because there's a there is not a sense of we're glad to have you here. So I think it's sort of chicken and the egg. Yeah. Yep. I think I think they're not. I mean, I think to some extent the Greyhound, mm-hmm. you know, is Greyhound happy to have you here? Like, yeah, at some level they are. But at 1995, not so much, mm-hmm. you know, like we're going to give you the bare minimum. And it's, to some degree, I think people have to be people may have to be willing to pay a little bit more. I think that it, what would be nice is to see if the market can arrive at a happy medium between something that's a little bit better than what we've got now and costs a little bit more, but doesn't cost fourteen, you know, hundred dollars to fly to LA from New York. Okay, that's it for us this week. 
thank you everybody for coming and participating. That was a lively discussion. Um, the fights will take place outside of the podcast studio in the hall. <laughs> or on the plane. Uh, or, or on the next plane we all take. Uh, don't forget to visit us, audience people, on cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. And CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And by the way, we would absolutely love... To get feedback from you on the podcast, on Twitter in particular, that's kind of the easiest way for us to get it. It's CN Traveler. Please tell us, hate on us, love on us, tell us what you'd like to hear about. We don't care. We are happy to hear it. We really would love to hear from you. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the podcast. There's a lot of things in the works. We're very excited about it. We hope you'll be excited about it too, but we would really love to hear whether that's the case. Let's go around and everybody tell folks how to reach out to you in case they are Cheetos fans. Mark. I, I'm Mark Elwood, and you can reach me on Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-K, J Elwood with two L's. I'm Jaina, and I'm on Instagram at J-W Mulary, and on Snapchat at Jaina Mulary. I'm Laura Redman. I am at Laura underscore Redman on Instagram, and at Danon825, which is old school, on Twitter. I'm Catherine, and I'm KJ LeGrave on Twitter. I am at Bradrick, and we would love to hear from you. So any of those handles, hit us up, and we will be responsive. Thanks very much, everybody. Have a great weekend. And again, happy St. Patrick's Week. Bye. Bye.